in my younger days, I wrote some poetry. And uh, so I thought that that would translate to like songwriting. Mm. So I tried tried writing some songs once and it does not work very well when your brain cannot make music. I can make music in my head, but not in any sort of song <laughs> yeah. way. I, I think I think a lot of people are like, they're either Elton John or they're Bernie Tobin. So like either you're the poetry lyricist guy like Bernie was, or you're the guy who can just bang out a song on the piano to anything uh, and you're Elton John. But uh, not it's it's harder when people are. I, I guess it's more rare for people to be able to do both things, and a lot of people try oh to do both things, but they're like just they're mostly talented at one versus the other. So you have a lot of uh, like yeah. punk and folk music that's uh, three chords and the truth, you know, just very simple guitar part with a lot of awesome vocals over the top of it. Yeah, it's, I mean, and then there's plenty of people you need to fully understand that can do neither. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's plenty of us out there. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, you can surf and skateboard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not bit. many musicians who can <clears throat> who can skateboard and surf and also play music. Uh, I think you're making a mockery of something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think those genres ever crossed over, like adventure sports and music. I don't think that anyone's ever done both. No, yeah. Um. <laughs> Someone should try that, though. Someone should try to mix those two genres together. I bet the action sports people might really like music and vice versa. Yeah, I wonder if there's some sort of activity that occurs in the summer or winter that we could revolve a music festival around mm -hmm. extreme sports activities. Yeah. I don't know. You should, well, let's uh, package this so we can pitch it. It sounds like it could be really lucrative. Yeah, let's just cut all of this. What's never ending to find the beginning that came before everything? Like kids with Dakotas discover the So tired, Josh. Is it is it mostly in your wrists and your neck and your lower back? It's in my upper back, upper back, shoulders, neck, um, and my wrists hurt after Monday, uh, and then Tuesday not so much. But that's because I Monday I was doing most of the big blocks of color, mm -hmm. and uh, so I was needing to like really use the big brush and pushing it into the wall and everything. Um, and then Tuesday I switched over to, 
I still needed to use the big brush a little bit, but mostly just the, the one incher and then down to like the, you know, fine detail brushes. So it eventually got less gruesome on the wrist, but well, my right wrist was killing me from holding the paint can. Oh yeah. For like probably a total of maybe 20 hours over two days. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we're learning techniques. Maybe, maybe next time we don't hold the paint can the whole time. Well, I, where else am I going to have, I need it here. <laughs> you know, I need like a lanyard for yeah, a paint yeah, can. Like, like they, like the, the drummer boy had, you know, in the civil war for his snare yeah. drum, you need that for a paint can. Yeah. I'm sure there's like a clip or something that like rests over the back of your hand or something. Kinda I'm, like, I'm sure you know, when you your Sherman Williams rep, you know, I'm sure you got a Sherman Williams rep now that you're a renowned painter of interior <laughs> spaces. Somewhere here. <laughs> I'm sure right. he's got all those types of gadgets. He's just ready to, ready to unload on you. Yeah, I'm actually a bear guy myself. Oh, oh, a little bit higher class. You know, it's higher class, but it's uh, pretty cheap at Home Depot. Home Depot... Um, surprisingly had some of the cheapest paints i wanted to go to like a kind of local place but i had already like i don't i don't want to buy the white base from a local place like mm. essentially just kind of the the kills background or primer. whatever it's just it would be way more expensive to cover that i knew i needed like a gallon and a quarter to just do the walls, <clears throat> but, well, but it's that's, done. that's that's the other thing you learn is uh, now all all your uh, commodity pricing is by the gallon. You don't do we don't do fractions of gallons anymore. If we're doing an entire restaurant, if it's gonna if it averages out to be like five and a half gallons, that's six gallons of paint that you owe me. You know, it's we're, okay. we're rounding up now. This is the way. This is just business stuff. I'm teaching you how to run a business now. <laughs> yeah, I feel like when I'm uh there's a I broke it down differently though. I did, you know, reimbursement for supplies versus just total cost. Mm, okay. Cuz I'm I'm a nice guy. You don't tack um, on your 30% to the overhead cost for your time and time and suffering. <laughs> Not for this one. Um maybe for future ones. But yeah, I mean this guy I this was like my first big mural anyways so i didn't want to be like yeah here's the full mural price um and uh it come out bad (laughs) (laughs) you know well i i i guess the big uh the big relief is that the fear of having it all painted and then walking in and saying what the fuck is this shit (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that that all is subsided. They they're ecstatic with it, and they want uh, you to do more, much more. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm excited about that. So it was it was a long, long few days. I ended up needing to spend two over two days, and then like a, uh, I don't know, two three hours on Wednesday. To like clean up some of the stuff but that one the wednesday stuff it was like when customers were there mm-hmm. um so that was kind of cool that people would like stop and look at it while i was 
touching up a few things. Um, I think people are going to like it. So it looks good. How are your, how are your eyes, uh, with all the color saturation, did they start to like, uh, blur out after a while of staring at the color palette? No. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, no, I mean the lighting, (laughs) the lighting in the, like the hallway and then the main, uh, entryway is like different types of bulbs. Mm-hmm. So I think I was going back and forth enough that it didn't. I don't know. It's really weird because I can, like the way that my painting style is, especially with stencils, is it's like just random shapes and blocks of color that like your brain makes the picture. Yeah. And something about painting on this scale, I was I would like be touching up kind of a part where I'm like either extending something or making it like a little bit more of a solid line against the color behind it. And um, my brain just gets into like making this shape look interesting. Mm -hmm. And like, I sometimes forget that it's part of this bigger, like I, I don't have to stick with just this shape. I can kind of just make sure that it looks good with the overall thing. But my, I like, I don't know, focus so much on the, small aspect of it which you could consider like a detail but i don't feel it's in the same vein as like an oil painting where you're blending you know the colors from the chin to the neck yeah yeah you're trying to get you're trying to get that exact right fade from the like aquamarine green into like the sky blue right yeah so it's kind of a it's weird but it it worked out i mean that was i was like painting part of it and just like i don't know if this looks good but then i was just like you know i already designed it on the paper this way um because i like photoshop my designs together or you know designed them on the computer Mm -hmm. um and then i like draw out a grid and essentially draw for this one i made stencils so i drew out a grid on the piece of paper then i draw out a larger grid on i use like the the red rosin paper or whatever like the drop cloth paper you would use okay, for a yeah. painting site and then i scale it up so that you know i know that <clears throat> the square on the paper is like one centimeter by one centimeter but then on my scale that i'm making it bigger for the stencil i'm doing one foot by one foot so it you know, increases the size. This is like a very, very basic kind of art scaling thing. But Mm -hmm. so I say that because like a lot of artists are like, oh, I don't work with the grid anymore because that's too, it's too basic or whatever. But I'm, I'm like, you know, it works for me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Um, I can't, I can't imagine that that's one of the, in college when I was taking art classes, that's like one of the first things we did was, you know, just rip out a, an ad from a magazine like of someone's face Mm -hmm. and then you draw the little centimeter grid over the top of that. And then you try to translate that into like a huge, uh, a huge, like 36, 24 by 36 piece of paper by just doing the square transfer. And that, and all we were, all we were allowed to use was just black Sharpie. So you either had to decide, am I going to where you're going to put the solid darkness versus the not, solid color and how that mosaic is going to come together to recreate the photo that was from the magazine and i always thought that was just 
just a genius way of doing everything, even if it is, I guess people think it's reductive and simple. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's kind of, it's interesting because it does break it down to, in this square, I'm going to draw a line from sort of the bottom left to like the above the halfway point of the right line, but Mm -hmm. I need to make sure that that next line curves smoothly into that top right corner. So you are basically just drawing like, you know, just a tiny little section of lines. Yeah. One bit at a time, which I mean, that's if you can then transfer that into like drawing completely just from your brain onto a piece of paper, like that's perfectly fine. But it's one of those things that I feel like if people are going to accept like the factory artwork where, you know, the quote unquote artist like Andy Warhol is like, hmm, I want to make a painting of Elvis with some splashes of color and then his assistants do all of the work. Yeah, yeah. Um, If people are going to say that that's artwork, <laughs> then uh, I'm going to stick with my little grids. Oh, yeah. And I feel like. And this might just be my novice, naive takeaway, uh, not being a visual artist, but from what we've learned about the brain and vision and other things, um, to get like hyper realism, you know, like uh, Renaissance artwork type Leonardo da Vinci hyper realism type of paintings, I I feel like that's Mm -hmm. not a thing that is intuitive for human beings to do. Like, even if you're a great freehand artist, if you try to draw, like, someone's hand or their face, your preconceived notions with how your brain puts those things together is going to make you get the proportions wrong just if you're trying to do it from your head. And having the making the thing that you are familiar with completely abstracted is a way of capturing the hyper-realism of the thing if you can break it out into a very... Uh, pixelated abstract elements that have to be put back together yeah yeah i mean that i'm pretty sure that like those artists and stuff use some grid techniques too Mm -hmm. um just because there's there's you know there's people like i i can draw stuff like without a grid um but whenever you're drawing something on that large of a scale unless you just have unlimited time which some artists do like they especially with oil paints like they'll work on a piece for years uh which i can't imagine doing i i go crazy staring at the same thing for like two weeks (laughs) just burn it Um, (laughs) burn burn it by week three (laughs) right exactly um and so it's you like i'm mostly use the grid and i think that ancient uh ancient older artists renaissance people and stuff like that would use similar techniques because to get the uh composition correct mm-hmm. like if you're just drawing or painting from your brain it is very 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 easy to have stuff way too close together or way too far apart or out of proportion um and so it, and then it screws it all up. Like if you, I don't know if anybody, you know, has the algorithm on Instagram or TikTok or whatever, showing them artists 
but so much of art stuff online now is showing like digital artists and as like I wouldn't say I'm a traditional artist but like someone who works with their hands like not on a digital uh like a Wacom tablet or whatever mm-hmm. uh they it's crazy to me how often they draw something and then like it's all on so many different layers that they then like just shift proportions of like the nose to the head mm-hmm. instead of like erasing it or whatever they like draw it out and then they like use the the like liquefy kind of photoshop tools to like push it around yeah yeah you you adjust the scale make it uh, more wider at the base narrower at the top and all that type of stuff yeah yeah so it's which is you know it works for them i don't necessarily think digital arts like revolutionary in the sense of making uh interesting stuff i think it's like for me feels way fewer pieces that are digital like actually have some sort of meaning i don't know maybe because i'm just in the the algorithm is feeding me furry art Um, (laughs) but (laughs) well and and i can see how like that that digital approach is kind of the uh, inverse of your gridded approach like you're trying to just get it all on the wall right and then I'll then I'll figure out how it all fits together once I get it all on the wall type of thing um, and I wonder if like um, if digital art it, it maybe it feels campy or something because it, it it does have such it can have such a more precision in the geometry aspect without much like uh, you know hand on paperwork type of element to it and then also is it maybe just because digital art lends itself to more of like a collage type of um motif where you're you're capturing other digital images and incorporating them into a new digital image so you're just kind of layering other digital ideas to create a new digital idea out of the old ones type of thing yeah it it definitely feels like it's way more um there's there's no like mistakes in it it feels like the the you know brush stroke kind of look like mm. oh the paint went a little far this way or whatever that only exists in digital artwork if they chose like very 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 specific settings to have kind of like a tapering off in one part so they like chose to do it yeah, as opposed yeah. to like this is part of the process, um, which is in itself is like totally fine. I mean, that's, I guess you would consider that a technique, but it's, I don't know. It's weird. Cause I, I also, I come from it like, um, I don't know. I've done art forever, but I didn't definitely didn't go to school for it. And so I have like a very different take on it. I think, think than a lot of people that go to art school because i do believe plenty of people now go to art school who started in digital art and then maybe they learn like some stuff you know so for them it could be like oh well that's where i get my ideas out i don't know maybe i'm just jealous because at the end of the year every year they have like 200 things that they've made (laughs) yeah and you're you're like well you know it took a while for the paint to dry so i couldn't even start my next one for a week (laughs) right (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know that 
there there is a similar phenomenon from the music side too, where um, we talked about this a little bit on the music episode two years ago, but the idea that um, less kids are exposed to ha- to playing instruments at an early age. There's fewer instruments getting into the hands of school age children for them to mess around with. Whether or not it's like the olden days and like every boy learned how to play the trumpet or the clarinet or whatever starting young and uh, versus like uh, or 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 your dad had a guitar or whatever. It's it's just that like the the programs in the schools and things aren't funded the same way that they used to be. And there might be like one music class for an entire elementary school and they're all sharing like the same 12 recorders and the same like five triangles. And it's not the same level of um, music education when it comes to instrumentality. Um, But all these kids are really into music and they have access to the internet and they have access to computers and smartphones. And those things come loaded with music software that has pre-recorded loops and sounds and everything. And you don't have to know anything about how to play an instrument to drop that stuff on the timeline and start just manipulating it in space and figuring out, oh, it sounds cool if this thing goes into this thing and if this thing gets layered on top of each other. Or, ooh, I tried these two things on top of each other and they do not work at all. <laughs> but mm-hmm. there, it gives you the ability to have that sort of sandbox trial and error that you might not have if you were like sitting in a rigid uh, like marching band class in, in ninth grade or something like that, learning some old piece of music. Um, and so like the all the coming of age uh, music nowadays, it's not nearly as much as it used to be uh, influenced by like bands, by people playing instruments, getting together, playing in a group of instruments and then trying to make songs. It is much more digitally influenced. And then you find like session players. If you if your digital song gets big, you can find people to come out on the road and play the songs live for you. But all of mm-hmm. the crafting and all of the invention and all of the creativity was done completely in a digital space without anyone physically touching an instrument. Yeah, that's kind of that's like one of the reasons why I wanted to share some songs with you, kind of because it. I feel like it's, uh, I don't know, working in like visual artwork, it's difficult for me. I, I enjoy music that I enjoy. I don't just like music. <laughs> like it's very hard for me to just listen to the radio or something unless it's, if it's a jazz station, I can listen to it because that's usually stuff I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. So at least there's some interesting stuff. Um, I can listen to like NPR whenever they play like the music from around the world kind of stuff. Okay. Um, but I cannot really stand pop music, um, which it's very funny. My sister like only listens to pop music. Um, she's just like, yeah, that's my favorite genre. And for me, that's not a genre. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that's just like all of this stuff, you know? Um, yeah, I would say it's, it's. I mean, it is a genre in the way that it's uh, mass-produced and and marketed to the world. But I think the way that I think of pop music is it is a um, 
it is a f- an end point or it is a it it is the point on the horizon of your painting where you're drawing all the attention to when you mm-hmm. distill music down off of all of the history of music and we find that there are these mathematical relationships between certain frequencies which create the tonality of the sound of the notes that are being played and then we find that like there is a certain like resonance that works across all of humanity that makes our brains start to hum in this harmonious uh vibe if we do the if we limit it to four chords that are separated by these intervals and we can move that all around in in different scales and stuff but as long as the chords are separated by these intervals and we repeat them it is going to earworm everyone for the most part, and mm-hmm. they're going to fall in love with this, which that's just what pop music is. It's a slight reorganization of the same interval pattern in different key signatures. And it's cool that it's not like um, our brains have developed a way to be like, ah, oh, I don't like those relationships anymore. <laughs> All of our brains are still wired to love those very specific mathematical relationships between those frequencies. Um, mm-hmm. So that is kind of an exploration of an end state or a evolutionary end state of the way that the human brain works when it comes to sound. Um, and it is the the same thing is why like freeform jazz is really hard for a lot of people to get into because none of those intervals are harmonious or give you that like, Ah, that sense of resolution in your chest that you just feel like everything's going to work out. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because I know like I, there was some stand-up uh, that I listened to a long time ago. I, I can't remember who it was, but uh, they were talking about like going to a jazz show and not understanding it because like they would play a key or they would play a note or whatever, and then they would kind of play a different note and then like some of the people in the audience would be like, <laughs> 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 like you know it's uh <laughs> like there you can get to that point and i don't think i'm ever going to enjoy it at that point where i'm like wow they that that was pretty funny everyone like, was they, anticipating a perfect fifth step there and these motherfuckers did a fourth like, yeah something like cracking that. <laughs> up i no, i get it like i hear that stuff like uh yeah, you yeah. hear where you can anticipate like this should be the next note in this sequence. And then if yeah. it's not, then that is the thing that like your brain was predicting what it was supposed to be because we've got this like, all right, the math problem is adding up perfectly. So naturally, the conclusion is going to be what the fuck? <laughs> it's yeah, not. Yeah. And that's the you're playing with the the whole operation of like your brain operating as a predictive machine and your consciousness operating on a delay and you're just fucking with that in that little split second where like you were thinking something else was going to happen and then you realized it didn't that's yeah you're just playing with time you're playing with people's concept of being in the present which is really cool um and you know i'm sure quite a few like jazz music musicians probably think of that People who don't think of that, uh, I'm pretty sure, are like DJs. And that, weirdly enough, my brain can... I don't know if I've listened to so much electronic music (laughs) that I now 
Like I, I know the structure, like I can feel the structure of electronic music. I can't make it where the drops are can, supposed to be <laughs> the drops or, you know, just sort of, uh, parts of crescendo or sort of, um, lulls or whatever i don't know the exact word for it but like where it kind of calms down or whatever mm-hmm. hey a refrain <laughs> there um, you go <laughs> and so i think listening to dj's i can definitely hear it now like i can hear when they should be doing something or if they missed a a spot that they should have done something because mm-hmm. like you know the way that it works is my brain like works almost 15 seconds or so into the future but then i can remember like about 45 seconds into the past of what the song is so whenever if they miss a spot but then they like trans transition into another song i can be like oh they should have done that there yeah yeah, like, yeah. they probably just you know missed the button or or had it you know not in their ears correctly or something like that some, some drunk girl was requesting a song and they they, they were distracted yes. and couldn't get the transition in time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like when I was DJing the, that like sorority dance and the person made me play Taylor Swift off of her phone. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't have, I don't have that in my computer. <laughs> She's like, it just came out. How do you not have it? I'm like, probably because it just came out. <laughs> um, but the DJ thing is fascinating too, because um, as much as like musicians or, you know, rock, rock and roll stars or whatever, as much as they are thinking about manipulating the crowd environment when they're playing live, that's not necessarily the top of mind consideration when they're in the studio or in their apartment writing the song mm-hmm. <clears throat> from a DJ standpoint how to control this group mind of a crowd and manipulated in their palm of their hand is all they're thinking about all the time, which mm-hmm. lets them be able to grab this bit of this song. And okay, I know pop sensibility works. So I'm going to throw in a chorus from this cheesy pop song. And then I'm going to drop right back into this EDM part. And because everyone's going to be like, Oh my God, my brain just had a bubblegum happy moment. And then it's all going to go right back down into this other thing and just control the entire atmosphere of a room by just when you decide you're going to, you're going to send those impulses to the group. Yeah. And I mean, the, one of the reasons that I got into DJing like in college was because, uh, it annoyed me so much how bad other people's music selection was Mm -hmm. like cutting a song halfway through, uh, so that they could play wagon wheel, uh, you know, or something. It's like drove me nuts. So, um, and, but, uh, I so totally sympathize with that because I also wanted to change the songs. I didn't want to play a full song, yeah, you know, the but ADHD does take it. over and you're like, yeah, ah, they heard 45 seconds of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's kind of, it's one of those things that like, it's interesting for me to experience electronic music now because I've gone through so many different uh, subgenres, I guess, like coming mm-hmm. about and kind of uh, waning. Like 
whenever I started listening to electronic music and I gave, a, I think I gave this background probably two years ago, but like the only music I remember listening to as a very young kid was like Sade, Seal and Enigma. And I know that those are not like electronic tracks necessarily. Like they, they used instruments for all of that, but it's, it's a similar feel, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I think you can kind of understand how you can get from Sade's, some of her songs, to, like, you know, electronic music. Oh, well, right? yeah, she's, there's definitely a lot of synthetic production in there. Like, they're using right. synthesizers, they're using drum machines, they're using loop machines and stuff. It might be more analog type of effects to create some of that stuff, but, you know, all of those synthesizers and all that stuff was around you know, even before she was going. Right, right. And it's it's interesting that the way that her songs are constructed, I feel, are not necessarily um, in line with a lot of other, like, vocal-heavy music. Like, she leaves a ton of room for the music. Mm-hmm. Um, Enigma, for sure, which, uh, like, I think it probably screwed me up mentally to be listening to (laughs) like that album but (laughs) um but and then you know seal with like a very stripped down kind of uh like you know considering what was it wasn't kiss from a rose or was it one of his other songs that like he did all of the it was just him like making the beats into a tape recorder yeah doing the bop 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 right it's i mean that is like (laughs) super informative i think to a young mind on what there is possible with music and so for me whenever i listened to electronic music it was i started out listening to trance um mostly because i was like if i'm getting into this new type of music if i'm leaving behind my puddle of mud and POD and Lincoln park and going to try something new. Um, I want to get my money's worth. (laughs) So I would buy like the long songs. (laughs) 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 Take me to the long songs, iTunes. Um, That's such a weird way of thinking about music. If I, if I, (laughs) I mean, all these songs cost 99 cents. I'm not going to waste it on a two-minute song. I, yeah. <laughs> right. So now it's just 11 cents per minute. <laughs> You're really getting your money's You're worth. Your, the Walmart shopper of music. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I started listening to it, and I wasn't like super into it, but I found people that then had you know radio edits which are way more digestible (laughs) it's like the similar song uh but they don't repeat the same thing four times throughout it yeah yeah they're 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 not well if it's going to make the radio you can't assume that everyone listening to the radio is on ecstasy right exactly (laughs) most likely not um and and then i whenever i went to go work at a movie theater uh i became friends with this person there that uh, she like really liked electronic music and she was a few years older and went to the lizard lounge and stuff like that. Um, but she would just like burn CDs all the time for me. Okay. And so I got like 
probably 200 songs from her or something uh, over the course of like a few months. There was a lot of it was probably trance stuff still, but you can start to bleed into like, okay, this is more house music or whatever. Um, so all of that is to say, like I had this foundation in kind of what electronic music is, I think. So seeing in college, like uh, dubstep suddenly take off, mm-hmm. mostly in part to just Skrillex and the popularity of like the uh, Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites song. Um, and then seeing that within two years turning into like the bro step stuff. Like I told you yeah. on the Bone and Kai, I went to the uh, the first electronic Daisy Carnival in Dallas and that was a fantastic festival. Everyone there that I recognized was like from the electronic music scene. And then the next year, uh, it was like frat guys all wearing matching tank tops that like had their you know their fraternity letters on it. They found stuff. they found out where all the where all the women were hanging out. Yeah, I guess uh, I don't know. <laughs> like, wait, it was very... wait, all the girls in tank tops that are doing drugs are all this this show? <laughs> oh, yeah. It. I mean, it. I'm sure that's part of it. It's just it was such a weird turn that it's like what are you doing here? Like I was, you know, uh, being called many slurs for listening to this music one year ago. (laughs) (laughs) Within my own fraternity, they were calling me slurs for listening to it. And then they all liked it. Um, So it's watching that and then watching that die out and then watching trap, like electronic trap, uh, start to rise in between you had Moombaton, which was like a sort of Caribbean kind of beats, but not reggae, which is what traditionally dubstep is based off of. So you had all these like movements and stuff. And now people are getting back to like actual house music. Um, but in a way that's like very low fidelity production. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to play for you like the or have you play for you um, <laughs> the uh, Ross from Friends song okay. first because I'm wondering but first you just listen to it then I'll ask all right and here's... we can just listen to like a minute and a half uh, what's the name of the song again um, John Cage John Cage that's right <laughs> Sometimes it's too new. Oh, oh, it will come to you. Every day, sometimes it's too new. Oh, oh, it will come to you. Every day, sometimes it's too new. Oh, oh, it will come to you. Every day, sometimes it's too new. Oh, oh, it will come to you
Yeah, I dig the the uh, destroyed, overdriven drum sound. I, I wonder if that is like, uh, I mean, I'm sure it's totally intentional choice, but like when you're making loops and things in your digital interface for, for music, there's lots of easy ways uh, to control um, all of the tonality of everything you're doing. So even if you're doing like a looped drum beat now, there's plenty of ways to like add overdrive to it and destroy the signal without having to go and like sample an actual drum that's been turned up too loud type of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And that I think that is just a big aesthetic that is coming back because part of the what happened with um, the digital onset of music was this obsession with accuracy um, because you could start to get so incredibly accurate. You could zoom in to the closest level to get the timing exactly right. You could get the pitches just exactly perfect. Um, that music started sounding uh, like it, it started losing its emotional uh, integrity right. or it, the pull that it would have on on the emotional senses of your heart because um, that absolute perfection that absolute accuracy gives us that weird feeling like uh, this isn't this isn't really being done by like a human being and so now going back with the those new eyes of not trying to polish it too much not being obsessed with the accuracy like even those those pitched vocals like yeah he's doing the pitch down to pitch it down like two octaves and then he adds the high octave pitched back into it when he comes when they come in but both of those mm-hmm. are not perfectly in tune even though he could have made them perfectly in tune right yeah so that's that's the thing that like I've always really enjoyed about electronic music is that it can for me it feels like a limitless sort of uh way to make music because you can literally make any type of sound Mm -hmm. and put it together so it seems quite hard i've tried it before uh i i have one song still on my soundcloud i'm pretty sure that's not great um (laughs) everybody go check it it out it was yeah it was really hard to make because there's so many options um whereas i feel like you know with drums or guitar or something it it does limit but that means that people have the creativity within it to essentially do anything yeah you max out the the limited options rather than being paralyzed by a billion options that you could try (laughs) right which i think is one of the reasons that like electronic music goes over the heads of people or not over the heads like that it's something uh, too sophisticated or whatever. I just mean it misses people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's because like, I don't know if it's like an ingrained thing, but having those limited options on a guitar <clears throat> means that you can listen to a guitar player from, you know, Spain or, you know, Papua New Guinea or, you know, wherever. Um and you can almost have like a human connection to the sound that they're making. Yeah. And I wonder if that's because like uh, humans can feel the 
limitations that are then being toyed with versus electronic music. It's like, it can be anything. Like I'm sure some people probably hated listening to that song um, (laughs) just because it's like not, you know, soulful or something for them. For me, it's very soulful, but that's because I have a deep connection with electronic music. Um, But for you, is it something that like, do you feel like it's just kind of thrown together, like put into a program and like they're just manipulating sounds until they're like, oh, this sounds cool. I mean, Which, as it's playing in my head, there is sort of the visualization of all these tracks on the timeline in the program. Uh-huh. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just because I've done, I've used those programs for like 25 years of my life. So in any time I hear any music, like part of it is going to be in my head, like visualizing how how it was put together. Um, mm-hmm. The this one, like I said, it's endearing because there is a principle of sufficiency when it comes to even if you're recording analog instruments into a digital platform, like life is fuzzy around the edges, uh, even at the quantum scale. <laughs> so mm-hmm. if you input too much precision into the music, you lose the the thing that makes it alive. Um, yeah, and I, I've the aesthetic that is being put across on on that Ross from Friends song is is the intentionality of sh- showcasing the fuzziness around the edges, which gives it that much more accessible accessible feel. It's a it's a more inviting experience than if it was pristine. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of. I mean, that's what the like sort of lo-fi house music uh scene is right now it is trying to do things it's trying to like have more feeling in the house music because you know house music for sure got co-opted by uh record labels who wanted to make money off of it yeah it's yeah. like you know it was pretty niche and we'll just but, put four on the floor exactly perfect timing behind it so no one ha- can stop dancing so it's just do 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 right do the whole time (laughs) yeah it's it's pretty it's pretty wild how it like turns into those things i mean even trap music there's an artist that he made a song that was like it was the first trap song that i and trap is it's such a weird term that they chose trap to talk about it but the reason was like oh it's like trap like rap beats but without the, the rapping essentially <laughs> but but now um, but, but now they all have rapping over them <laughs> right right like it's um, the only way any any of the asap folks make music now yeah it's the so this person rl grime um made crazy good stuff and then he started like every year would do a mix tape on or a mix on uh halloween it would come out and then um Still does it, but I cannot listen to his music that comes out now because it's all formulaic. Like, Mm -hmm. I know his pattern. It's kind of like, you know, I enjoy street art. I love seeing there's like a Shepherd Fairy piece in downtown L.A., which is um, it's a huge like Ronald Reagan who's holding a piece of paper that says legislative influence for sale. Okay, Um, Love the piece. 
he doesn't do anything like that anymore. Now it's just portraits of people. Like you find the thing that like people like, I guess. That will and pay, then you they'll, just, they'll pay you the most money for and you just yeah, do yeah. that. <laughs> I mean, so you can which, not starve. I can understand it, especially as like an artist, you start out making something and you're trying to send a message or mm-hmm. whatever. And then once people like stuff, you're like, well, I can just have this random woman uh, with a face like standing there and then I can color it blue and make 250 prints and sell each of them for like $4,000. Yeah. Um, that'll, you know, cover me for a while. Uh, I can understand, I guess, people going that way, but it's funny that it's the guy who <laughs> was the obey guy. <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, like the, but then you get it co-opted so far that it's like somebody who didn't even originally make music or art that way. It's no longer R.L. Grime that's like too formulaic. You get the chain smokers and I'm sure people have seen the video where they have like five of their songs exactly lined up and it's just the exact same sound oh yeah yeah this is a th- this is a thing even with like even the bands that you talked about that you were into before this like lincoln park is another one where they're yeah, yeah. they were a you know they're 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 a good band i've i saw them live they're fun to see live and everything but they're very um production oriented from the label type of band like this is the formula of the song that is going to sell so go and lay over all of the top lincoln park songs on top of each other they're all like the same tempo they all have the same flow pattern they all have the same hook pattern they all have the same like breakdown pattern a thir- two-thirds of the way through the song you know instead of like having yeah. like five they, and that is going to happen to all bands. You know, you're going to figure out your niche and you're going to lean into it. But most bands who make it, like, they might have three, four, five different formulas that they alternate between. And then they just play around with those 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 handful of formulas in order to create different songs and variation and stuff like that. But some bands, it's just like, hey... Everyone hates all of our other formulas except this one. <laughs> so let's just do right. all, let's just do that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's one of the things that like I like their new album, but Idols really they had like such a uh, strong political messaging for so long and then they're like, well, people say we just like are trying to make slogans, so we're tired of doing that now. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what, what, how do you like get tired of making, like, if you're that passionate about making these sorts of messages and stuff, how are you then going to be like, Oh, we'll just make like a nice song. And they're like ultra mono album. I was not a big fan of. Mm-hmm. Cause a lot of it was like, they like mixed in some of their political stuff with like, ah, you got this, you can do it kind of attitude. Um, and then their newest album is good because the the lead singer, I think he writes almost all of their songs. Um, he was like an addict for a while. So it's essentially talking about coming out of addiction and all that kind of stuff. So I can appreciate that one. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to, I don't know, be like, well, 
I'm tired of doing this. I don't know, which I feel like people can get to that point, but then to change it so much where you want it to become something people like, as opposed to like something new that you want to do. Yeah. And I think we mentioned this maybe when Jorts is on, but even like the Eve six dude, you know, he's all popular on Twitter and stuff. And he's, if you, if you followed any of them, like hard in a blender was his song that he wrote in his fucking diary when he was like 14 years old. (laughs) And then that song became the most popular song ever. And, so they still play shows and they end with that song every single night. And he went through the whole thing where he yeah. like hated it, didn't want to play it, and then got got around to being like the appreciative side of it on the back end and figuring out a way to accept it and accept that version of himself and then also accept that that connected with a whole lot of people. And even, you know, 25 years later, it still is a thing that brings other people together. And that's a good thing. So he, you know, leans into it now. Yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting um, that those things can kind of come back around. And the, like, I forgot what I was going to say about Link. Oh, no, where did you, when did you see them live? Um, I saw them live the um, I well, the last time I saw them live was at the 2000, it was like 2001 summer. Um, oh wow, uh, the family values tour. Uh, Stone Temple okay. Pilots was headlining, Scott was still alive, obviously. Um, and uh, Jerry Cantrell was playing a bunch of Alice in Chains stuff. Uh, is the last time I saw Static X too before Wayne Static died, and then who else was at that show? There was a bunch of bands. Oh, Stained, that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's the deal with Stained? They they just have always sucked. I don't. That, oh, that's okay. that's the whole thing. <laughs> but wasn't it? Aren't they like way right wing now or something? I I don't know necessarily the political affiliation, but just Aaron Lewis has always been a douchebag. Um, mm. You know, it, the the big thing that happened with him was like uh, during early on in the pandemic, he was playing like bar shows, and so he was sitting there on his stool trying to play his famous stained songs just on an acoustic by himself, and it's a bar, so people were talking, and he got pissed off that people were talking. And he threatened oh, them that's and right. stormed off and had this whole rigmarole about it. Yeah, that's that that was an interesting band because it was very that was one that I was like, what are we doing here? There's <laughs> vocals should not be like this, I feel on Yeah, it's another one of, of those kind of like puddle of mud. Like uh they were I, I feel like their origin story was either discovered by Korn or Fred Durst of Limp Biscuit type of thing, and then brought them into the studio and did the did their record together something is yeah, either it was either corn or Limp biscuit i can't remember which one is the origin story of stained man yeah i wonder you would like the podcast so you know the uh street fight mm-hmm. um the guy brian quinby he does a butt fest 2000 that's all just butt rock <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> music <laughs> um, uh and 
so yeah, I asked because I I saw Lincoln Park at Fair Park. Oh in yeah, two thousand probably two thousand six, two thousand seven. Okay, so that was they were um, past their prime, I think. <laughs> yeah, the last time I saw them was at Reunion Arena, which should let you know how long ago it was. <laughs> they hadn't even demolished it. I don't even think. They might have just opened American Airlines Center and like it was the first year that the Mavs and Stars were playing in the new building and they were just doing like concerts and rodeos and stuff in Reunion. Man, yeah, I remember Reunion Arena. I think my first stepmom took us to a... They played hockey there, right? Yeah, yeah. Stars played there. It's where they won their Stanley Cup. Okay, yeah. I think she took us to a Stars game because... Some client of hers gave her tickets. Can't remember if that was before or after I found out she worked at Baby Dolls. Did you um, go? Did you go to the 1999 Stars Stanley Cup victory parade in downtown Dallas? When was that? Because didn't they win? For some reason, I was at my grandparents' house, but was it over Christmas? No, no, like it was in the summertime. Did? It was in the summertime. Okay, maybe that's why I was there. Um, and Pantera was just on a flatbed. Uh, trailer playing this Dallas Star song over and over again because yeah, Pantera was all alive still at that point too. <laughs> yeah, I definitely didn't go to that. My parents were not big uh, parade people. I'm not a parade person myself. Can't stand parades. Not a big fan of fireworks. <laughs> I rode to that parade in the bed of my friend's uh, two seater Ford Ranger all the way from Farmer's Branch down 35 on the highway to get downtown. Jesus. (laughs) We just piled into the back of the bed of the truck because it was the only car that anyone had that could get there. (laughs) Jeez, dude. (laughs) Laws were different back then, man. You could do anything when you were 17 years old. I mean, wait, so which you rode down 35 from Farmer's Branch, which is north? Yeah, yeah. Of Dallas? Yeah, it's about uh, about a 25-minute drive. Right around the, I don't know where the parade was, but right around like where the, what is it? Is it 114 or 121 or whatever, where it, right by the hospitals, the freeway has a lot of dips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My my Glad friend though, made it out. you know they had the in the back of the pickup they had that little slide window that would open to the bed that little bitty like right. slide window, so he had that slid open and one of the rear speakers um, that used to be in the door panel had come out and so he would just kind of like hang that one speaker out through the back window <laughs> so you could hear whatever the music was playing on the car stereo. <laughs> I think we yeah. were listening to the Blue Album, the Weezer's Blue Album. That was that was that period of time where that one friend was really stoked on Weezer's Blue Album. Wow. You should hook him up with TC. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <clears throat> well, then, I guess the final song I wanted to play for you then is the uh, Flume song, ah, the yes. DHLC. Do I have Are to... you familiar with Flume? Yes, I am. Do I have to cue this one up to a specific spot no. or just play from the go? All right. You can play from the start. Well, here we go. Oh, 
telling me to stop? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, we're <laughs> we're nearing the end, anyways. But so this one, I feel like, in contrast to the Ross from Friends, it is way more of a refined kind of song. But I think the way that he's layering the tracks and putting in different things, you almost don't. Like you feel like something is coming, but you don't know what mm-hmm. in the music it's going to be. Is that kind of yeah? How does how does it track for you? For me, it's um, definitely listening to Flume in headphones is kind of like the required experience. Um, right. It's obviously cool if you're like in the boom boom tent at Hangout and it's just through giant massive speakers and you can feel it your your ribs rattling in your chest with all the bass hits. Um, but when you have the headphone mix going, you really get that stereoscopic uh, version of how yes. all the filters are working. So the, he's using so many filters in these songs. Um, every every element has this sort of um, EQ filter going from like a low pass to a high pass. And so you're getting like uh, this low muffled version of it into this crisp version of it as it travels to your from left to right. And then the other thing is doing it the opposite way. And then sometimes you have the filter that's breaking from hard pan that's resolving in the center of the mix to for a little bit of clarity. So those things are cool. Um, I do like the use of the of a little bit of detuning on the that little vo- vo- voice coming in layer underneath because mm-hmm. um, it does give that little bit of a slight clashing note feel with the with the perfect um, pitch of the of the synthesizer keyboard sound. Um, the other thing that's cool is I'm sure he's not I'm sure that's not orchestrated like this. Um, I'm sure on the timeline, it's the, he's got the MIDI punches and he, and they're seeing exactly the length of each MIDI trigger in order to give it that boom, 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 that real like percussive whoosh sound at the beginning of each note. But to Uh do that in like a practical effect, like if you're going to do that, um, on a regular keyboard, uh, without doing it digitally, you would like crank the gate up, um, or do a pre-gate on it so that, all of a sudden the note would just punch in when it's at its full volume rather than having that little ramp up at the beginning and that little come in. You just hit the bam. You hear the just the, the hit when it hits the full intensity of the note rather than that little rounded sound that you get when you play a regular instrument, which is cool. Um, one of the things that it reminds me of is um, the attempts by Radiohead in both Kid A and Amnesiac Um, that was their attempt to kind of get this sort of synthetic sound, but they were doing it intentionally trying to do that with all analog instruments, which is, Mm. it's it's pretty cool that how they were able to pull off getting some of those effects, which generally were understood uh, real. You could really only manipulate them in the digital realm, but they had to like create real, uh, these, weird instruments with lots of different plugs to plug in different transistors into each other. And as they were playing them live, you know, you're plugging in a different input and plugging in this input and then changing the gate knob on this one and then (laughs) increasing the EQ high pass on this one, like in real time. Um, Mm -hmm. which is, which is a, it's, it's a different take on this exact same aesthetic, but just showing that, 
you can do it both ways. You can do it with just human beings turning actual knobs in a studio rather than just putting it on a timeline in, di- in the digital space. But I, I like the I like the feel of it. Yeah. Were you familiar with this song at all? Or no, I was album? not. No, I haven't listened to any okay. of the new stuff. The new album is a is very good. Uh, one song to that I don't really care for, but actually two. Um, but the rest of them are peachy keen. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, I, I don't know, you know, where did you learn about Flume? Is that from Hangout? Yeah, I think, it's, hang, I think it's from Hangout is the first time think hangout yeah yeah because he's he's big now um i mean i say big he has 1.7 million subscribers on youtube yeah uh, I, it might have been maybe it was governor's ball i believe it's a festival it's a, it's it was the like all the festivals have like the tent that's for the electronic music you know where all the electronic kids go and just trance out um mm-hmm. so I like going into those rooms uh, in between sets of other bands that I want to see. And even when they get um, like uh, when Marshmallow, they put him on the big stage, you know, that was that oh, was yeah, that was I'm fucking sure. awesome. Because <laughs> when they get to really incorporate on the big stage where they can incorporate all the lights and the lasers and the flamethrowers and shit that they have to that accentuates the music. And there's like uh you know, five hip hop dancing uh, ladies that come out with uh, crazy uh, firework effects shooting out of their of their clothes and stuff. <laughs> it really accentuates all of it. Yeah, it's uh, the festival electronic scene is <laughs> so so different than the club scene, which is kind of interesting. Like, if you go back and listen to his debut album Flumes, it is so much more stripped down like raw sounding kind of music compared to this now um so it's i don't know it's very interesting to hear that like transition it's kind of like the i don't know i have a hard time listening to any album of the mountain goats other than all hail west texas because that was the first one i listened to oh yeah 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 and whenever like during covid he was doing like studio shows or whatever and i tried listening to it and like i just don't care <laughs> about his other music <laughs> i don't know what it is about it sounding like good quality that makes it not good for me um but is that like something in music that you like is getting better quality does that ever mess with a band for you yeah uh, not so much for me um anymore i think when i was younger um it was more of a you know true to stay true to your roots uh stay you know the the whole idea of like you feel like you're 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 a special type of fan because you were with the band when they had shitty recordings and couldn't afford to go to a studio and like, Mm -hmm. and so now that they, you supported them and they, now they have a record deal and they can't afford to go to a studio. You're kind of like, ugh. all the people that just like them for this studio quality album, they're posers. And I don't have that anymore. That was much more like high school version of myself feeling like this, 
gatekeeping, but more not not even gatekeeping, more like uh, feeling like I wanted the identity, the identity to be mine. Like I didn't want to have it, it felt like it, I was having to share parts of myself or something like that when it's not none of it was ever mine in, to begin with. Um, but when you're a teenager, you are constantly, you know, trying on different masks and seeing if that's what your personality is going to be. So it's tough to realize the the larger perspective of all that. Um, like definitely my I've said before, like my favorite band is Against Me, uh, an anarchist punk band from Florida. And they have a big story along with that because they were so anarchist punk like their whole scene was just a bunch of street kids uh homeless kids outlaws that loved to come to their shows and scream the anti-government lyrics and all of the recordings were so lo-fi like some of the times they didn't even have enough money to have a drum set so the guy's just banging on a guitar case and a bucket (laughs) like that's how lo-fi like the original albums are and then they get their record their first record deal and they make like a very powerful punk record and it's for a fat wreck it's like big mike's or it's like fat mike's uh record label it's it's not like uh this is they they went to geffen or some or some shit and yet their like hardcore punk fan scene thought that was a sellout (laughs) (laughs) and to the point where they would they would those fans would buy all the tickets to the shows and then come and they would stand in the audience and be quiet during the set not cheer at all, and then just show up outside to try to beat the shit out of the band because they sold <laughs> out. <laughs> so, so, yeah, wild. that definitely does exist. And how seriously it's taken is very dependent upon the origin and the genre of the music and the fan base of that music. Um, Laura, the uh, front person for the for Against Me, has often talked about... Like even after that, when they did get an even bigger label deal and they made an even bigger record and they toured with Green Day and Foo Fighters and stuff, that kind of went away a little bit of the gatekeepers. But they'll still run into the old school fans that will show up to the show and like want to fight somebody after the show still like 15 years later being like, oh, you guys sold out. It's it's a weird phenomenon. Yeah, it's it's very strange. I mean, that I was like texting you yesterday about that podcast I was listening to where the it was like an anarcho podcast and the guy was talking about how literacy is just a bourgeois like <laughs> yeah. project yeah. For, for the bourgeoisie and it was um it's totally overrated and uh you know it's horrible that the identity of self is just boiled down to these terms and definitions. Um, and, uh, he, but he said the antidote to literacy is, uh, rock music. And you think, Oh, okay. Cause this guy's kind of a rock musician or whatever, but he means like the bebop skidebop music. Yeah. 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 <laughs> From like the 50s, he was like, you know, rock music came out and it was such a threat to those that are in power because 
it had no syntax. There was no formal spelling for those words. So we need to get back to bebop, skeetop, a doop, boop, boo. Yeah. Well, you know, and like um, with Against Me's uh, evolution, uh, you know, by their by their second uh, label release, all of the songs were about being an anarchist teenager was really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> You know, maybe it's more about uh, the people need to seize the means of production. Maybe you know, it, you know, they 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 made the turn into 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 the more Marxist ideology from being an anarchist, and that was another big uh, freak out amongst amongst the faithful. Yeah, yeah, I, it's it's so funny, like looking back on the or, or reading about or listening to the you know fights between anarchists and marxists especially you know 100 years ago or whatever um just how they like the marxists are like well you know uh we're going to take over so the people can be in charge and the anarchists are like no we won't allow it it's just kind of like who's which we are you talking about because there's no real structure to what you're doing or wanting to do or no there's structure there's there's no hierarchy, but there's structure. What's the structure? It's a circle. Mm-hmm. Every everybody's equal. That's a great idea. And what can you do with that? <laughs> you can complain about other things. Cool. That's awesome. To each other. Can now we can yeah. we have even ground to complain to each other about the things. Yeah. Um I, I was gonna make a joke that like you 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 know listening to the stripped down music and then they get like a lot of money and make a big album. I was going to make a joke comparison to, uh, that you were more of a fan of three cheers for sweet revenge versus the black parade. Mm. But those albums were only two years apart. They were. (laughs) And I'm, I'm, I was a big, my chemical romance fan. Um, I will tell you that I kind of stopped listening at the black parade point. Yeah, it, it, but was, I don't think it had to do with it, I don't it think it had not. to do with the production quality or whatever. Or I, I just that it was like a time when um, I I just stopped listening to a whole lot of music that wasn't local music because I was so focused on the local music scene in Dallas and Denton and Fort Worth, and it was all you know so. I had so all my time was then dedicated to listening to all my friends' bands and doing all that stuff. So a lot of that stuff, that um, mid aughts to the mid teens, what it's it's most of everything I listened to was like orig- originated in in Dallas, and it, it wasn't because I was being a snob about local music is the best or something like that. It was literally just a time consumption thing. I didn't have enough time to listen to everything else because I was listening and helping promote and helping do shows with like 15, 16 local bands. And so we were always in that modality. Yeah. It's it's weird though how Denton, if people are into music, like actual music, then the at least Denton bleeds into all different parts of the country yeah it's very weird i was talking to somebody at uh in miami that she's a photographer that she 
lived in Orlando, but had recently moved to Brooklyn or something. And so we're just talking about like, uh, places we're from. And so I said, Oh, I'm like from a small town. And, uh, I say small town just cause most people don't, even though Denton's big, mm-hmm. it's sprawling. It's not, people don't know it normally. She was like, Oh yeah, I know Denton. I used to do like, I helped like a band that was like touring around and we played in that, like, uh, the pizza place that has the basement. J and J's rest in peace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's weird how it expands. So focusing on local music there is not a bad thing. Oh no. And it was also the time when I was really trying to get into the like festival scene and not mm-hmm. like giant festivals, but just us playing in festivals. And there were a lot of like local festivals even didn't had North by 35 going on at the time. And so, yeah. um, Is that still going on. No, uh, they repackaged it as something else. And then I, you know, it only happened like one or two times again. And then it didn't happen for the couple years before the pandemic. And I don't think they're going to try to bring it back. That sucks. Or if they do, it'll be something totally different. Yeah. But yeah, so when you're when you're doing that, a lot of it is like new independent music that only four people have ever heard and, you know, all that type of stuff that you're trying to listen to and make friends with people around. Yeah. Well, I think we should maybe get back into My Chemical Romance. Well, I I was interested in going to the concert until I saw that the ticket prices were like $400 to go to the American Airlines Center and sit on the top deck. It's more expensive than the Blink-182 tickets when their reunion tour came around last year. So, I don't know. I didn't didn't realize they got that big. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, I mean, they had an entire store called Hot Topic dedicated to them, so... (laughs) Uh, no, the, no, no. Hot Topic was around way before My Chemical Romance. <laughs> Come on. Uh, like, where else in the re-branded. in the 90s were you going to go get your Zero shirt f- to wear to the Smashing Pumpkins show? You know? Fast forward, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess you could go to... I don't know if Fast Forward or Gadzooks had the band shirts like that. It was more... They were more like... Uh, like uh, no fear and big dogs and uh, you know those those types. No, of No, you can't put big dog. <laughs> big dog was Oshkosh Bagosh, not not uh, fast forward. <laughs> big dog, come Wait, on. What was it? Was it fast forward or Gadzooks that would have the half half of a a, a Volkswagen Beetle in the shop? I think that was Gadzooks. That's Gadzooks. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I didn't go to many Gadzooks. It was nearing its end uh, by the time I started going to the mall. As and were, fast as forward, were malls. <laughs> right. Fast forward, um, like only a few years after I started going to the mall, did it turn into Zoomies? Uh, fast forward didn't become Journeys, or was Journeys and Fast Forward two separate stores at the same time? I think there were different stores okay because they back then those stores didn't sell shoes oh that's right like that much yeah 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 so you would walk in and it was like jeans and t-shirts and like one single belt <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> like, yeah yeah um the the that pop punk podcast that i was listening to that i mentioned uh last week mm-hmm. a few weeks ago um 
they had the idea that they were trying to scrounge together money so that they could do their own death metal parking lot, but for what they called the pedophile tour, which is the the one that My Chemical Romance and all of the bands are playing uh pedo fest i think they called it it's like all of the like half the bands in that lineup like the when we were young or whatever oh yeah one, yeah yeah they uh i mean a lot of them i think got found out messaging young fans on twitter and stuff <laughs> well, i mean you gotta you gotta have a good relationship with your fans sure <laughs> That's that's why I only accept uh, friend requests from all the fourteen-year-olds who are fans of Nirvana. Uh, yeah, <laughs> be careful with that. There, there's 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 not any of them really, so it's okay. I would feel like there should be, you know. You, you know there I I there's there are the kids that are fans like the way that I was a fan of uh, Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin when I was a kid. Um, so I, you know, I guess if you listen to the classic rock station <laughs> and, and, uh, you yeah. know, uh, but although I don't even know if like, cl- does classic rock radio exist anymore? I never listened to radio. They, it does exist, but they still play the same stuff from the seventies, like hair metal. Okay. So music. it hasn't, they haven't like rolled in seventies and eighties. They haven't like, no, they're not, they're not, they didn't drop off the sixties to add the eighties and then they dropped the seventies off to add the nineties. Yeah. This drives me insane too, because I would love to actually be able to listen to it. But if you listen to like a rock, like an alt rock station, it's just like the mid aughts kind of say it's like Chevelle. Okay. And like, and but if you listen to any of the 80s 90s and today which that's a 30 year gap yeah, to, you're filling to, in today there today is doing a lot of work there <laughs> right i'm not really looking for sarah mclachlan you know like right. there is no place that i think nirvana gets played on the radio at all anymore yeah i don't know uh i don't well, listen to the radio i know an upstart radio station in dallas that uh Maybe they'll get back into playing rock music. They used to play it. Well, you know, (laughs) soon enough. All right, Eric. Well, great job telling us about your art and showing us these songs. It's a very Eric-centric podcast, but we needed one of these. Needed needed an up periscope on what's going on with Eric's life. I'm happy happy (laughs) it's going well. I honestly just could not physically do any research this week, so I was so dead yesterday. Uh, I like these podcasts better. Oh, thank you. Well, good job. Until next week. Bye.